Please be seated. And if you would open your copy of the scriptures to Acts chapter 4, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Let's pray. Father, as we have read your word, and so now uh, look forward to it being proclaimed, I ask that you, that your spirit would open uh, ears and eyes, and especially hearts. Help us to be more like Jesus as a congregation. I pray in his name. Amen. Well, this morning we are going to examine the framework of a church. We're going to look at the four chief activities uh, that should be taking place in a church. Those activities are devotion to the apostles' teaching, devotion to the fellowship of the church, devotion to worship, and devotion to evangelism. We see all four of these aspects uh, here in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And um, I want to, however, back up a step because it is possible to have all four of these activities taking place in a church, but to miss the core reason for the existence of the church. John MacArthur, the uh, Baptist pastor that I uh, so enjoy reading, he says this, He says, I believe that the church in America has descended from being concerned primarily about the glory of God and has become a church that focuses on men. Now the church thinks its goal is to help people feel better about themselves. It plays psychological games with people and gives them placebos. But placebos aren't the answer. And his argument is that the church wraps these placebos in the the shell of teaching from the Bible, in the shell of fellowship, in the shell of worship, and in the shell of evangelism. But at heart, they are concerned about the wrong things, and and so they are simply placebos. He says, and I would contend as well, that the church exists for the glory of God. I'm not saying that the church should ignore people's needs, 
But knowing and glorifying God is the most psychologically healthy thing that you can do. The core reason why we exist as a congregation is to glorify God. That's why God created His world to display His glory. That's why God sent His Son to die on the cross to display His glory. And that is why we exist. To display the glory of the triune God. We have our little our catechism. And most of you know the first uh, question. What is the chief end or the chief purpose of man? Man's chief end or chief purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Why am I starting with this focus on the glory of God? Because He is our focus. The job of this congregation, the job of this church, the job of this ministry is to direct our focus and to direct the focus of the community around us to Almighty God. When I first became a Christian... I, uh, I began growing in my faith, and I tried to do what God called me to do. Um, I wanted to please God in every way, but it was a lot of activity, and a lot of that activity was self-focused. I wanted to show God how much I loved Him. I wanted to show others how devoted I was to God. And then I read this book, I've mentioned this book on a few occasions, It's a short little book, less than a hundred pages, called The Attributes of God by A.W. Pink. And when I finished this book, even before I finished this book, I realized my Christian life, my activity for God was not about me. In fact, it had very little to do with me. Because everything in the Christian life is about God and about His glory. And I realize it's not about what I can do for God, but it's about what God deserves. Because He is the all-glorious, almighty, majestic creator and king of the universe. I became less because God became everything. When you have a big view of God, Your view of yourself begins to shrink. So that's why I'm emphasizing this idea of the glory of God. Um, In fact, there's one way that I like to illustrate this. It's from Job chapter 25, verses 2 through 6. You don't need to turn there, but listen to these verses. In Job 25, it says, Dominion and awe belong to God. He establishes order in the heights of heaven. In other words, He's the Creator. And then it goes on, Can His forces be numbered? Upon whom does His light not rise? How then can a man be righteous before God? How can one born of woman be pure? Even if the moon is not bright and the stars are not pure in his eyes, how much less man who is but a maggot, a son of man 
who is only a worm. And it starts, dominion and all belong to God. He's the creator. And who are we? We are His creatures. But even less than that, we are sinners. We are rebels. We have broken God's commandments. We are completely undeserving of His attention, much less His love. Compared to God, we are maggots. We are worms compared to His infinite holiness and His glory. But how does God treat us maggots, us worms? He pours out His love upon us. You know, they started changing the, um, the words to some of the hymns that that uh, used to emphasize this worm theology. Amazing grace. God saved a wretch like me has now become in some hymnals. God saved and set me free. Or alas, and did my Savior bleed. Um, Here's how it reads in our hymnal. That first line, Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Would He devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? And it's been, the word worm has been substituted for the, for the word one, for such a, a one as I in some hymnals. Why would they move away from this worm theology? When we are sinners, when we are completely and utterly undeserving of God's presence and of His love. Because the church has lost sight of the absolute glory of God and is offering placebos. Because man now has become the focus of the church rather than God. It is not about you. It is not about me. We exist as a congregation for the glory of Almighty God to display His glory here in this world. We are a light set on a hill. We are salt that is a preservative in this culture in order to point people to God. And so if you think of the church... The stool, the, the, the top of the stool is God's glory. And we support, we, we display that stool, we set that we, we display that 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 stool, if you will, before the before the world by four chief activities. The four legs of the stool are uh, devotion to the apostles' teaching, devotion to fellowship, devotion to the to, to worship, and devotion to evangelism. That we have here in, in Acts chapter two, verses forty-two through forty-seven, a picture of the model church. And so, I want to take just a few minutes to look at these core activities. The first activity, a devotion to the apostles' teaching. It says they devoted themselves. This word "devoted" here um, means that they devoted themselves continually. They devoted themselves faithfully to the apostles' teaching. Yet, since God is our focus, since His glory 
is the whole reason why the church exists. Well, it stands to reason that we should be guided, that we should listen, that our first activity, our first priority should be to listen to His Word. And that's what they were doing. In fact, they weren't doing this begrudgingly. Uh, Verse 46, Day by day attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness, or with glad and generous hearts. Their devotion um, was not simply an obligation. They weren't simply doing enough to get by. But it says with, with uh, glad and sincere hearts and generous hearts, they were devoting themselves to these activities. Why is it so difficult for us to be similarly devoted in our day and age? One reason is that we have so many other things we can be devoted to. Let me ask you, what are you devoted to? What other concerns or activities compete with your devotion to Christ? If you want to know what you give your, uh, what's important to you, well, what you give yourselves to, that'll help you know what's most important to you. And so let me ask you, is it most important to you that you give yourselves, that you devote yourselves to Christ and His kingdom? Teenagers. My my mom used to have to pour water on me to get me out of bed to go to church. If that didn't work, she'd bring the two German shepherds up to my room and let them crawl in bed with me. And eventually, uh, slobber enough would get me up out of bed. The reason why she had to do that, I did not want to go to church. The reason I did not want to go to church, I was not converted. I was not converted until I was in college. Is Christ and His kingdom the object of your devotion? And it says here in verse 42, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The Word of God has the primacy here at Westminster Presbyterian Church. There are other churches, there are other Presbyterian churches, other Presbyterian denominations where the Word of God does not have the primacy. We believe that God's Word is inerrant, that it is inspired, that it is our authority. It is our chief, our primary activity of Westminster Presbyterian Church to, as it says in verse 42, to devote ourselves to the Apostles' teaching. To devote ourselves to the Word of God. That's why we have a Sunday school that teaches the adults um, the Word of God. I think Joe is going through... um, the, the Sermon on the Mount uh, right now because Dale is out of town. Dale's been going through the book of Philippians. With our children, they have a systematic, they go through the scripture systematically. This morning, I was teaching the children from um, the third through fifth graders from 
from uh, 1 Samuel chapter 18 through uh, chapter 20. We're going through the scriptures um, in the curriculum that we use. I preach expositorily through the scriptures. If you're visiting with us, the reason we're in Acts chapter 2 verses 42 through 47 is because we're preaching through the book of Acts. In our, Sunday, in our small groups, we study the scriptures. We want to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. Healthy churches, healthy Christians devote themselves to the Word of God. And so I need to also ask you, how healthy is your devotion to the Word of God? Do you read it every day? Or do you just get by with what you get when you come to church here on Sunday? How healthy is your commitment to the Scriptures? And now I want to uh, just pause for a moment as uh, we continue moving through here. Because um, I want to look at verse 43. I want to just get ahead of myself for one second. Because in verse 43 it says, All came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. There's an impression that I think we, we have that in the, the early church, when the first church was first started, that everybody was, was uh, performing all these miracles. That they were just walking through and cleaning out hospitals, healing all the sick. But it says here in verse 43 that all came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. The reason why they were doing these signs and wonders is because they were establishing that they had God's authority and that their word that they were preaching, that they were teaching, was indeed the word of God. It also uh, was was God God through their 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 miracles that they were performing. It was saying that they had witnessed the resurrection, that Jesus Christ had had indeed been resurrected. He had shown himself to the apostles in Second Corinthians. Chapter 12, verse 12, it says, The signs of a true apostles were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. In other words, it was the apostles who were doing these signs and miracles to establish that their teaching was not simply their teaching. That their teaching was the Word of God. They were not being presumptive when they told the church, listen to our Word, listen to our doctrine and our teaching. Rather, the signs and the wonders, the miracles, were pointing to the fact that they were God's authoritative spokesmen. They were God's chosen agents of revelation. Why don't we have signs and wonders and miracles happening in the church today like they did then? The reason why is that God God set apart the apostles as His agents of revelation to write His Word. We now have their authoritative teaching contained here in the Scriptures. 
And so the church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They also devoted themselves to the fellowship. And the reason why this is important here in verse 42 is they added 3,000 members in one day. Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 members came to Christ. Remember, they were preaching in different languages because they were preaching to people from different cultures. And so people from different ages, from different cultures, from different customs, from different dialects, all came together and they formed this early church. 3,000 uh, 3, people. And to add uh, to the complication of what that must have been organizationally, these were not 3,000 perfect people. These were 3,000 sinners. And they had, it says in verse 47, daily... Uh, people were being saved. Daily the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. We are an imperfect congregation as well. Every one of you are sinners. You have a pastor who is a sinner. That is why this, this devotion to fellowship is so important. Because we have, we have to put up with each other. God has, as we read in our responsive reading, He has formed us into a body. We belong to each other. And yet, He doesn't take away the sin nature. We're still sinners. And so we are going to act in very silly um, ways toward each other. This doctrine of fellowship is so important. What does it mean here that they gave themselves to fellowship? Well, what it means is they gave themselves to each other. It says that they lived their lives together. Verse 44, All who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing all the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received food with gladness and generous hearts. They lived their lives together. They were not living in a commune, but they were living in a self-sacrificing community. Some people have taken verses 44 and 45 to, to say that communism should be the way that the church should, should uh, bond itself together. But it says here, as they had need. Their aim, as one commentator put it, was not to destroy property, but to destroy uh, selfishness. In fact, at the end of Acts chapter 3, as it is talking about... I'm sorry, not Acts chapter At the end of Acts chapter 4, verses 36 and 37. Then thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold the field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. It treats... Barnabas here in his act of devotion in selling the property, all, everything he owned and bringing it to the apostles' feet as something that is unique. 
They were doing this only as they had need. There is no commandment here that that's what we are to do. That you are to sell your homes, to sell your possessions, and bring everything here to the church. And then we redistribute it out equally. That's not what it's saying. There's no command ever given to do this. This, but they were, this is what they were doing. They were a newly formed community with no resources. It reminds you of the Israelites uh, when they were out in the wilderness. They brought their gold, they brought their bronze, they brought their silver to Moses so that they could uh, outfit the temple uh, or the tabernacle with everything they needed. And so here they are. But they were so committed. And this is, this is for us today. When there was one part of the body that was suffering, the entire body was willing to sacrifice. See, that that is normative for us today. That is biblical fellowship. Their commitment to each other was such that it that it, they were willing for it to cost them uh, cost themselves something another definition uh, to round out this what this fellowship meant is um, laid out in Romans chapter 12 you don't need to turn there but listen to this this is what the fellowship of the early church um, was like he says for the, by, the apostle Paul says by the grace given to me I say to everyone among you do not think of him do not think of yourself more highly than you ought but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith God has assigned for as in one body we have many members and the members do not all have the same function so we though many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith if service in our serving uh, the one who teaches in his teaching the one who exhorts in his exhortation the one who contributes in generosity the one who leads with zeal the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness let love be genuine abhor what is evil hold to what is good love one another with brotherly affection outdo one another in showing honor do not be slothful in zeal be fervent in spirit serve the Lord rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, seek to show hospitality. And he goes on, and we could continue reading this. 3,000 people, 3,000 strangers came together in the space of one afternoon, or one morning really, and the church was formed. 3,000 sinners That is why they devoted themselves to the fellowship. They also devoted themselves to worship. When it says here that they devoted themselves to, in verse 42, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers, uh, the definite article is... um, is there and it's very uh, conspicuous. Um, and the breaking of bread and the prayers, that's talking about the public worship. They devoted themselves to worship. They devoted themselves to worship um, daily. They were in the temple every day, and when they weren't in the temple, they were in each other's homes um, worshiping together, which also shows that not everyone 
sold their home. They were not because they had homes that they were meeting in. But uh, it says day by day or daily they were uh, together worshiping. Doesn't mean that you are to be here in this um, sanctuary every day. Doesn't mean that you have to be involved in everything that the church does. But it does show us here that there should be a pattern of daily worship. We have emphasized as a denomination, uh, we emphasize as a congregation, that you should have personal worship. That your family should be involved in daily worship, daily family worship. Um, you know, you can come here on Sunday morning. You can flip the power switch, and you can engage in the activity of activities of worship. You can sing. You can bow your head when we pray. You can read the Word of God as it's being read. You can give as the offering plate is given. But you can't simply come in and flip on the power switch and worship. You can engage in the activities of worship. But worship flows from a life that is devoted to God. Worship flows, is empowered by a life where worship is taking place. Uh, Your worship is from the heart. You can't simply flip that switch if you haven't been worshiping throughout the week. And so our Sunday worship, our Sunday morning worship starts Sunday afternoon as you walk out of this sanctuary and as you live your life for God throughout the week as you devote yourself to him as you live in obedience to his word as you lean on him in dependence and then worship when we gather together is the natural consequence of a life that is filled with worship they also uh, devoted themselves to evangelism Uh, Verse 46, day by day, attending the temple together. And then it says in verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. They were not only at the temple to worship, they were also at the temple to evangelize. We'll see that next week in Acts chapter 3. Uh, And as they were evangelizing and as they were worshiping God, the quality of their lives was such that they enjoyed the favor of all the people. And they proclaimed Christ. People were added daily. Oh, that people would be added daily. I would settle even for weekly. Unbelievers to our congregation who have been converted and brought to faith in Jesus Christ. Invite people to our, to our small groups. Follow up with our guests. Don't look out for your friends that you haven't seen during the week. Make your, our guests your first priority. Uh, speak with your co-workers. And most of all, pray for conversions. One of our chief outreach activities of our entire year begins tomorrow morning, begins tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. 
when we have a very full vacation Bible school. We had to cut off registrations uh, a few weeks ago because we had been full. And we did not join with the preschool in front of us uh, this year. Um, We talked with them. They understand that we wanted to, um, to reach the community. Um, with our Vacation Bible School, and they are actually a Christian preschool, not not Westminster Academy, but preschool in front of us. They're and so they had their own separate Vacation Bible School. But they were thrilled that we wanted to reach the community. Tomorrow morning at nine o'clock, we're going to have many families. Many will be churched. Uh, some will be from our own congregation. Some from Westminster Academy, but many from the community. And many will be unchurched. Many may be going to church and don't, and don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to urge you. I want to exhort you. Be in prayer for our Vacation Bible School. Pray for the children to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Pray for our, for our teachers, our, our Bible teachers and our leaders to put forth an example of Jesus Christ and to proclaim Christ clearly. A church, a healthy church, is one that is devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to worship, and to evangelism. I've gone longer than I wanted. We got started in the pulpit a little uh, later than normal. One thing I observed this week was that, and I don't know if this predates me, you, you guys will have to help me out on this, two of our small groups that we have that meet on Sunday afternoons, one is named koinia, which is the Greek word for fellowship. The other is bread breakers, because they get together and eat bread. Uh, well, not eat bread, they eat food. Um, But listen to verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the koinia, the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread. Again, I don't know if this was intentional. Um, We started a third small group uh, in my uh, my home, and we started it with the intention of um, welcoming... uh, uh, new guests uh, into our small group, so it's one that um, we just started and is is almost uh, it's, it's already growing because we're we're trying to invite our new guests into that group. Um, I don't know. I've been trying to think all week. Well, what should I name it? And I'm limited to the Apostles' Teaching <laughs> uh, small group or to the Evangelism small group or to the Worship uh, small group. And uh, I think I could probably, we can do better than that. But um, I thought that that was interesting. It is not the names of our small groups that, make, that will make us a biblical church. What will make us a biblical, healthy church is stoking our desire to glorify God. This is not my church. This is not the elders' church. This is not your church. This church belongs to God. And may God help us be and do what He has called us to do. Let's pray. 
our Father and our God. We thank you for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that it is not simply a human convention whereby we get together every week and mutually support ourselves. But rather, it is a God-instituted organization, or organism, a living organism. It is the body of Christ. Father, I ask that you would help us to... um, to first of all give ourselves to you and then to be and to do um, with uh, great devotion everything that you have called us to be and to do. We lean upon you and we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the Spirit who indwells his church. Indwell us now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.